0: Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Okay, so before I get to my guest today, I want to just catch you up on some of the things I've been watching this past week. I am still watching The Vow on HBO and Love Fraud on Showtime. They are both really strong documentary series that are being released week to week, episodically, which I don't love because I'm used to a binge. I love watching things as a binge and I really am enjoying both of these and I just want to watch them all at once. So this is what binge culture has done to us. I don't like being patient, but they're both really well done. Two different stories. The Vow is about uh, the Nexium cult, Love is about a con man and the victims. I really recommend both of them, really, really enjoying them. I'm also I started watching Defending Jacob on Apple Plus at the recommendation of my friend Brian Samuels, who you know I have on occasionally to break down TV with me. Um, I really liked it at first and kind of has gone off the rails a little bit. I think I have a few more episodes left, which I'll definitely finish because it's kind of like a legal murder thriller, which I am a sucker for. Um, and I like Chris Pine. It's good. I wouldn't say it's great, but I am enjoying it. And finally, I just want to say that I really, really love The Real Housewives of Potomac. I know that I came to the franchise late and had to catch up um, in the last few months on the prior seasons, but this season is so funny. I mean, I laughed so hard. Between that and New York, I just, they make me laugh so hard. Um, T'Challa, who is Monique's parrot, is an amazing addition. He's got his own lines. He's hilarious. So... Listen, if you're not already watching, I don't have to tell you, just go back and start watching it from the beginning. But if you're watching it, you know how good a show it actually is. Okay. So today on the podcast is Stephanie Ziv. Stephanie, well, a lot of people know her because they just, they either know her from her time as a network executive for many years, but they also may know her as a personal life coach. She's coached a lot of people inside and outside of our industry. She talks our language, so she really gets it. And she also coaches big companies that have nothing to do with entertainment. Now she's bringing her skills worldwide. She's got a new podcast called Permission to Choose. She's got some really great guests lined up, some like Mario Lopez and Darian Olean, who is the co-host of that new Netflix show with Zach Efron. So Steph and I, we cover a lot. We talk about not just her career trajectory and how she's doing in the pandemic, and then really giving us kind of tips on how we all can keep our sanity at this time. But she also talks about a topic that I find fascinating, which is how to make a change in your career. If you're feeling trapped by money, what I call the golden handcuffs, you know, how do you either change careers or move up the ladder in your present career, but how do you find the confidence and the courage to do that? So I am in my feelings a lot on this particular podcast, and this might be the first time I actually cry on my own podcast, so I just needed to warn you about that. OK, this is very exciting. Hello, Stephanie Ziv. Hello, my friend. How are you? Hello of great. <laughs>
1: I'm
0: hanging out in the city. You know. She's COVID. in New York City. So yes. you're one of these people who, I mean, look, COVID was raging in New York at the beginning the city was bad and you took it very seriously. You did not emerge even to get your mail. How far into the pandemic?
1: I did not leave my apartment. Even I, I did not go past the four steps outside of my door where my recycling and garbage chute is meaning I didn't even go downstairs to get mail or do my laundry. So I did my laundry in my bathtub because I don't have a washer and dryer in my apartment. And where'd you hang it to dry? Did you have a rope? It was the, it was the, you know, I have to tell you, I, I thought about for a second, I'm like, I'm going to put all those skinny bitches on Instagram to shame by my new workout called ring your laundry.
0: (laughs) Your biceps must be huge. It was
1: the worst workout I've ever had. I hated every second of it, but I refused to go outside and I was inside for 50 days. I emerged on day five, zero.
0: I'm speechless. How did it change? No, I'm not even kidding. Like, how did it change you? Like not even going out into the air. That New York City. Very overrated. (laughs) Wonderfully. Air
1: Air Air nature, really overrated. (laughs) Um I am I knew very early on how serious it was. I also had just had the biggest party of my life. I turned 50 in February. Yes. And then I had a I had like whatever my version of my wedding would have been my side mm-hmm. of the wedding since there has been no <laughs> wedding in my life. So I was like, You're 50's gonna be you me. I was celebrating me. I had I rented out a jazz club in Flatiron. It was amazing. I had like 115 people there. Oh people flew in from all over the world. It was amazing. And that was on February 29th. <laughs> you got that in under the wire. Thank God under- for you being a February baby. It was an it was unbelievable. It was literally for all those people the very last time that they interacted with a large group. It
0: goes down in history as wow. the pre-pandemic bash. Well, so we hope it was a pre-pandemic, you know, now we don't know. Well,
1: well, <laughs> I will guarantee you that people had already had it. I think my sister had it in December. Yeah. But nobody got my party was not a super spreader. Nobody got sick. But when that thing shut like but I also had a friend in the hospital who'd been in the hospital since October, and I only found out from mm-hmm. December. And he was supposed to have surgery on March seventeenth, and that got canceled. And then he had to—they—they they moved him out of Mount Sinai to go back to Long Island. And very unfortunately, he passed away a few weeks later because oh, I honestly think God. that was—it wasn't COVID, but it was COVID adjacent because we couldn't visit him anymore. You know. So anyway, oh, it just—it became very, very evident how serious this was for me, and and I just got into a mindset from almost day one, like I am going to be in my apartment for a year or a year and a half and I'm not going to see anyone outside of zoom or FaceTime. And I'm okay with that because I have shit to do. And I just made a choice and no one got on board with me in terms of, I had a million people like, Stephanie, come to the suburbs and live with my husband and children and me. I'm like, I can't (laughs) think of anything I'd (laughs) want to do less. I love you and thank you. And no, no, that's a no for me. Yeah, Um, you
0: realize in these times like how much you really have to love yourself because you're with yourself so much.
1: I really like myself and I really like what I do for a living. And I really have found this to be one of the most sacred and creative times of my life and i have never gotten more done and i feel so grateful i feel like i have i've i've actually called forth a team i have a massive amount of people supporting me in my, my vision it is a very exciting time in my own little quiet space on the 12th floor in new york city
0: I love hearing that because, you know, I think it's going both ways. Like, I'm sure you hear this with your clients too. It's either people are like you, they're just like super creative and just everything that they've been working on just is like takes off, you know, full speed ahead. And then there's other people that, like, you know, not that I'm talking from personal experience or anything, but, you know, that just like can't, there's too much chaos going on that they can't like get centered and actually, you know, dig in deep and find that creative center.
1: Let me be clear. I watched a five and a half month old puppy (laughs) this past weekend. I got nothing done. And I suddenly was like, I don't know how any of you people do this with another (laughs) human in your house or 12 humans in your house or animals in your house. I don't know how you do it. So I am very mindful of my privilege. I am very mindful of my choices. I'm very mindful of my, you know, of my gifts at this moment in time and I am very lucky and I'm very grateful and I don't take for granted my scenario and I and I also think that you know look there's so much going on where people are really being called forth to clarify what is important to them and certainly if I had children I couldn't do what I was doing what I'm doing if I even <laughs> if I had a puppy I could I couldn't function with a puppy let alone children so big God bless to all the mamas and papas out there who are making this work. Even if that just means you're waking up every day and keeping those children alive. It's like,
0: I don't <laughs> exactly. know how people are. It, it's amazing. <laughs> and I, I acknowledge that really, truly. Well, and- amen, sister. So I always, I realized that I didn't do this. I want to start by um, saying how we met. Cause I usually um, talk about how I know my guests. So you and I met a really long time ago. We're talking like um, 1996, I think. I was. Oh, no, sorry, 98. Um, our mutual friend, Yael, who we love, was living in L.A. and you have become friendly with her. And we met then. And then I think we kind of like we were friendly through Yael. And then we sort of reconnected when you went to Oxygen when I was living in New York and you were in New York. So let's go back, though, because... What I love about talking to you is, you know, you're in the more sort of unusual column of my guests, which is that you're not on TV anymore, although you still have a lot of clients that work in TV. So that's what I love too, because you talk the talk, which comes in handy when you're just trying to shorthand stuff in the life coaching scenario. And full disclosure, you were my life coach for some sessions and a really hard time a few years ago and really like helped me through it. And just so incredible. So I can give my own testimonial, but you'll hear it straight from Steph's mouth about her approach to everything. But let's just go back to the early days. Like TV was sort of like the first career. Is that something that you always wanted to do? Or did you just kind of fall into it? And how did that happen?
1: Well, I, when I was 15, I wanted to be Phil Donahue. And I also was madly in love. I grew up on Free to Be You and Me. So the, when yes. Marlo Thomas and Phil Donahue got together, that was like I wanted to be their love child. Um, Did you see a
0: recent interview? They wrote a book together and they've been on the interview circuit like in the last few months. No, how have they're I adorable. That? And by the way, I'm just putting it out there because I can't do it. Someone, if it's not being done, needs to make a documentary on Phil Donahue. Legend. Legend. He is a legend. Yes. Yeah. And Sorry.
1: what I loved about him was that he was very forward thinking and very open and very progressive and, and created a platform for all voices and all levels of it, it wasn't just trash talk television. It was actually there was substance there. It was a real dialogue. It was I remember um, he always at the time he had some Russian journalist on who was they were very close friends, but it was a very fascinating time of of just exploration of those two cultures and, and the way they dealt with journalism. And it was it was very interesting. And so I was always into him and I always thought I wanted to be a talk show host, which when I said it when I was 15, you know, he was really the only one. It was really pre Oprah. And then Oprah came and then everybody wanted to be a talk show host. So. Um, mm-hmm. New York city is definitely in the house. So yes. we'll just dig New York and the sounds
0: <laughs> of my dog who always likes to make himself known, dude.
1: So I wanted to be Phil and then I, but I found myself getting into the other side of television when I first started. So I was a production assistant when I moved to LA, I was a production assistant on a show with Jason Bateman and John Favreau, also pre swingers oh. and, um, that show didn't go, but I stayed. I was going to be in L.A. for like for like six months and I ended up staying for six years. So I stayed there and I ended up working with the guys who wrote that particular pilot and they wrote the Santa Claus and Space Jam. And So I, be, I learned development actually through these screenwriters and it was just the three of us. So I was the assistant and then I kind of morphed into their director of development and we had a deal at DreamWorks and, um, and then I ended up moving to New York and I got my job as the, at the time as as the director of development for Oxygen. And then I ended up um, getting promoted
0: like within a year to VP. And then. Wait, so back up for one sec. So was the, when you got the job at Oxygen, am I crazy that it was film related were you doing uh, it, well? Attention? It
1: turned into film related, but I when I got there, they I was on all the like Oprah esque type shows. I was the liaison for, um, you know, Carolyn Mace was there at the time, yeah. and Cheryl Richardson was there, and um, those were what I got to oversee. And
0: that must have been fun, right? Given your talk show, affinity. it was
1: fun. It was, and they were talk shows. But honestly, that stuff went away quite quickly when I got there. They were, they moved into um, girls was it, it was Girls Behaving Badly with Chelsea Handler and, oh, yeah. you know, Old School, right? And and then I, yes, I did at that point get, um, they, they were doing scripted. So then we ended up, we ended up optioning an entire part of Harlequin romance novels. And right. I basically took the log line of all these things and turned them into romantic comedies. And, but we did have, Oh no, we have Fabio on for something else. Um, But, but anyway, it was, it was a very, it was super fun. And I ended up overseeing all the scripted movies. I did all the movies. We did like eight movies. So my, my whole thing was like, when I worked in the film industry, I didn't get one movie made. So (laughs) I, so if you want to do movies, go to television, which now is really true. (laughs) Isn't that so true and ironic? (laughs) It's crazy.
0: So you were at Oxygen how long?
1: I was there for just under seven years.
0: Oh, it's a long time. I didn't realize it was that long. Yeah. So then were you doing the movies the whole time once you settled into that role?
1: Yeah. Yeah. They kicked me out of um, any notes meetings for the Bad Girls Club. I wasn't really (laughs) into that show. And I was like, why are we doing this? We're a women's (laughs) network. Don't these women hate each other? Why are we showcasing this? And sadly, that
0: was their highest rated
1: show. Oh, it was forever. And it was the thing that outlived, you know, all of the old oxygen people, you know? Yeah. And honestly, I was getting certified as a as a coach on the side while that show was happening. So it was like eating away at my
0: soul (laughs) to watch it. Okay, so what so you're in the middle of this, you know, TV slash film career doing really well. Um, What made you decide to even pursue the coaching route on the side?
1: So before I got to New York, I was studying um, I was studying psychology at the master's level and I really did love all that stuff. I loved any personal and professional growth and development and it was just in my blood. And so when I, there was a point where my dear beloved boss, Jen Cotter, who I still adore to this day and I celebrate every day. Um, she left and then her job as SVP was available. And Kristen Connolly vadis and I were the VPs on either coast. And we kind of, for whatever reason, decided that that was going to be the chopping block job and that we would not put our hats in the ring, which is something that I would now (laughs) coach people to do the opposite. It's like, (laughs) always put your hat in the ring. That was it was an interesting move and one that did shape my life. And so in my case, it is what it is. And but it, but I, I don't think that that's if that, that's never a good move to not put one's hat in the ring, because I thought that would be the chopping block job, which mm-hmm. it really wasn't. So when um, the new boss came in, I lovingly had some he, we did we did not get along that well. And, um, and I don't think that he knew that, but that was my experience. (laughs) And so um, while I, and, and, you know, you know what? I've actually, I actually apologized to him years later for being what I lovingly call an asshole to him, if I may. And uh, he didn't really even ever feel that I was doing that, but I did. So I took ownership and responsibility and made amends and all as well. So, um, but it was also one of those things that it's like, it's a, it's a blessing that I, I wasn't feeling my best there because uh, there, was, there was something else that was seeking to emerge for me that was much more aligned. I mean, the thing I loved most about my job in the entertainment industry was always my team, was always managing the people. In fact, when Oxygen was in the midst of being, Um, Bought by NBC, we were there was a like a like a drop dead date of like December 3rd when everybody was going to know what was what was happening. And I just remember, I mean, I had just gotten certified as a coach on November 12th of 07 and would eventually, you know, would have found out on December 3rd what, what the story was, but I actually opted out. So I was let go with my severance by my choice on November 28th. So I wasn't dealing with any of the anxiety that everybody was dealing with because I already I made the choice. Right. Whereas everyone else was kind of waiting to hear their fate. So my office became like my coaching shingle. Everybody came in. I had people. I mean, I'll never forget. I had people. I was like, well, if you could really do anything, what would you do? And I had people say, I'd be an olive farmer in Italy. I'm like, do that. (laughs) Leave this. Leave this all behind. Go be an olive farmer.
0: (laughs) Did anybody go pursue a dream that was that far-fetched?
1: Not that that was, I don't know. I mean, maybe, but but I mean, I can speak to my dear friend who you've already interviewed, but Julie and Sonia. You know, yeah. and Jarrett Creative—that was absolutely born out of of her being um, let go. Yeah, and that was—and that was a so, very just so
0: people know if they haven't listened or don't know, she and her husband Seth went on to start a very successful production company, Jarrett Creative.
1: Yeah, and you know that was the thing. It's like Julie, and I—I I think she'd be open to me talking about this, but Julie, you know, was very much tied up in the oxygen thing and and resisted yeah. that move and. It's almost like sometimes when we resist ourselves, then, but whatever is, is, is kind of whatever, wherever we are meant to be the most useful, we will be pushed to, you know, and if, if, even if you go out kicking and screaming, it's, it's always ultimately, I think this or something better, you know, there's always something better.
0: This might be a super obvious question, but maybe not. Is the thing that's always in the way, is it fear or are there other things going on too?
1: I don't know if that's a super obvious question. I think that fear can take on many disguises. So I do think sometimes the underlying current is fear for sure. Um, it might look like doubt. It might look like scarcity. It might look like I'm not enough, you know? Um, but I, I it's, not a non, it's not a crazy thing to say that that's a, often the underlying current for sure.
0: So here you are, you've set up this shingle, you know, kind of on your way out with like, come to me, I'm going to coach you through, sort of using using your, your skills. But how did you feel inside? Did you feel like, you know, that classic imposter syndrome, like I'm great at giving everyone else advice, but I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I can't believe I'm going to take this leap. Or were you just like completely resolute and felt confident about it?
1: Well, I think that in the beginning, I felt resolute and confident because I had a nice severance that I left (laughs) with.
0: (laughs) Let's let's all be honest about that. One day I will get I will take a job so I can get a severance. I've decided. Let's be clear. The (laughs) the severance helped the
1: confidence. Right. But what I say about my own experience in terms of how I shifted and pivoted and created this whole new world for myself was that the first three years out, I failed miserably. I very much hid out. I describe it like I was paralyzed in my perfection while people 10 years younger than me were, were soaring and fearless in their mediocrity. And (laughs) and still to this day, I I am like, there are those people who I watched run miles and miles ahead of me because they weren't paralyzed like I was. And so for me three years into my severance and my little bit of a business going, and I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea how to do a business or start. I I had no idea. And so, you know, and and I would say like the first three months out, I basically, you know, sat on my sofa with my dear friends, Ben and Jerry and gained 15 pounds as I watched (laughs) sex in the city reruns. And then one day I was like, this is really, this is not working. So I, I I got up Um, and but still three years later, I did fail miserably. And I was, I had to, I had no money. I, my rent was due. I had to, I, I basically had people, I had an intervention, P- people intervened. And my father was like, I think you need to leave the city and get out of, you know. So I very, very begrudgingly left the city. I subletted my apartment and I, um, and I moved home and I turned 41 on my father's sofa as a life coach, which is not my <laughs> ideal scene. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I vaguely and remember this chapter now. It's all it was a back terrible
1: chapter. And then I How long then were you there. I was there for two months and then I ended up um, and then I and then I, I went back into the entertainment industry and did work um, on the on the production side, on the buying on the selling side, rather. And, and what was that. What was that? I, I worked for a production company that I,
0: that do we not want, do we want to not want to discuss? <laughs> we can move on. You were, you were in development and you were selling. I was in
1: development and I was selling and I, my heart was
0: not in it. And, um, Can and I just interject I, really quickly that I yeah. have a distinct, I have a really bad memory, but I yeah. have a distinct memory of sitting in my, what became my old office at stage three in Philly and you calling me cause I closed my door it was like, what, 2008? Was it two, 2007, no, 2008? No, when I, when I went back. Yeah. No,
1: it would have been 2011.
0: Oh, okay. So I remember you basically saying like, explain to me how you do this. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. what do you do? Because yeah. you had been in something completely different and all of a sudden you're expected to develop and sell unscripted shows. I mean, it's night and day from what, you know, even if you're at an Oxygen with, a lot of unscripted content. You really don't know what the hell you're getting into until you get into this. And I was like, buckle up, sis. Yeah. (laughs) And that's gonna be a bumpy ride.
1: Yeah. And it wasn't, it's not my nature. I mean, like I'm a people collector and a people connector, and that was my secret sauce. And for this company at the time, they really didn't have those relationships. And that's what I really did bring to the table. And I'm, I am a good developer. I just am not a good idea person. I'm great at like, if you give me the idea and I can start to, I can develop it, but I'm not going to sit there and just go out and find real people who I can have on television. That's just not my thing. And I didn't have a team at the time either. So I really wasn't fully, I mean, it took me, I I did eventually get to hire a team, but, um, was there anything that that you liked about it? I like my team. I always like my team. Yeah. I always like my team. And you got to
0: choose them. That's I key, got to choose right? my
1: team. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was all I really liked. But I, I just and I also at the reality TV for me, was just not my thing. I still don't watch it. It's like I just was not it was so counter to who I was in the world and what I was there to do. It was just not right. so like
0: it, part of what you're part of who you are and part of what you were as a spiritual person who, like you said, believes in personal growth and like the goodness of people very counterintuitive tool. I mean, there's look, a lot's changed, right? Since those years that was a lot of trashy stuff back then, I think it's less and less and there's like amazing stuff out there now that we call it, That's why we don't call it reality anymore. We call it unscripted. Oh yeah. So sorry. Yeah. Uh, yes. That's okay. <laughs> um, but no, there's still reality TV, you know, like love is blind is reality TV and it's great, but it's its own beast. So anyway, so then, all right. So you, so you dabbled kind of in the, in the selling side And then what made you sort of leave for real and really jumpstart your coaching business? Um, I got fired. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I find that really good things have happened to you in your life when you've had to exit a company. I like these lessons. These are great lessons. Yeah.
1: I started getting fired. The first time I ever got fired was (laughs) was when I was working with my father's uh, law office and I was in high school and I told him I was going to dye my hair green. And he said, if you do that, I'll fire you. So I did it. And he fired me. I was like, okay. So step one, you
0: march to your own drummer and that's what makes you so special. That's right. So then I got fired from this company, um, which Which was was for the best.
1: Oh, it was for the best. (laughs) I literally, the day before I got fired, I was, I was being abused verbally and I, I just, I was at a loss about how to even navigate that at that point because it was just so. It was so unfounded and just so unnecessary and so not about me. And but I, I literally went to the ladies' room after that moment of like holding alien, all of my, angst and sadness and rage and upset. And I, I went to the to the ladies' room. And I literally, it was like a moving moment. I, I like screw. I, I like fell down to the ground and sat with my knees to my chest and cried hysterically and literally was like, God help me. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm not ready to, I can't be here, but I don't have enough money to leave here yet. And the next day I was fired and they didn't film I Whatever. It was a mess. They didn't fully acknowledge or pay me out of my whole contract. And I had to pay money to get the money. And it was a stupid, stupid mess and like karmically just not something I wanted to ever be involved with. But um, but what it did do was it did force me to like that. That's like a, you know, burning of the boats moment. Right. It's like, OK, I, I cannot hide anymore. I have got to make this thing work. And I ended up going to real screen that year, which Corey, I think, was the one that also really um, made me go.
0: Corey Abraham. Abraham.
1: Yeah. And I really and why did she go. make you go? Because I think she was just like, you gotta just, you gotta just put on your big girl pants and like go back out there and just get another gig and just make it happen. Because she knew that I still wasn't, I I just, I I wasn't yet in the black. I needed to, I needed to still amp things up, but. Um, ironically, I went to real screen and then I went to the <laughs> oxygen spike party, which was so loud and I couldn't hear anyone. But across the room, I saw my friend, this guy, Steve Asher, who is now at A&E. And I knew Steve because he had come into interview to be my P at this company, and I really wanted to hire him. I loved him. I thought he could bring exactly. He was like my equal opposite, you know. And I really wanted to hire him, and he was too expensive for the company. But, um, but anyway, I ran into him at Real Screen all these months later, and we threw over the. We kind of like mouths to each other because we couldn't hear each other. That we would have lunch in, back in the city, so we did. And it turned out that, you know, he was working at the Today Show and he wanted to get out of there and he wanted to be in the reality world. And I I was out of that world and, um, or the unscripted world, excuse me. It was still called reality then. So, and then (laughs) I, (laughs) and then I, you know, and then I was was really just committing to, to really, I was committed to my coaching business thriving. And so we were talking and I said, oh, well, you want to go? Okay, I can absolutely happily, joyfully help you to meet all the right people in the industry. And he's like, well, why don't I have you on the Today Show? And I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. He's like, yeah, let's do it. So I literally went into the Today Show and did a little Stephanie dog and pony show with no preparation. I had one idea for a show called Coach Me If You Can. And within 10 minutes, they, they were like, we love it. Can she be on the show on this date? And then I was on the show for that whole year. I, I was on like seven times. And um, and thank I God I've I, never had to go back to my father's sofa since.
0: <laughs> thank God. By the way, I love how you did take your skills from developing and selling because Coach Me If You Can is a great title. It would be a thank great you. show title. You know what See, I
1: mean? It wasn't all for
0: naught. It wasn't all I'm for naught. I'm always developing. So here's the thing. I I thought that was that your story about... What I call the golden handcuffs was really interesting because I'm sure in your, in your, I want to say in your practice, do you call it your practice? In your business, in your business practice, practice. that that probably so many of your clients, we've all been there, are having those golden handcuffs. It doesn't mean you have to be making millions. It could be anything, a living, some way to pay your rent. And you're miserable, I mean, I'm sure I'm speaking to many people listening right now, but you're really scared to either, you know, look for another job because what if nobody will hire you? Or like you said, take a leap into a business that maybe has nothing to do with what you're doing now or start your own business. I mean, you hear the stories of entrepreneurs and they're all scared to death. They start with no money. And it's not like people are just handing out, you know, investments every day. And I think that, I guess my question is, how do you, how do you coach someone to let go to undo the handcuffs, to, to make the leap when there is no safety, like there's no guarantee things are going to work out? Yeah.
1: I, first, I never encourage people to do something silly or stupid or without thought, right? I am not the person who's like, just jump off the cliff and <laughs> hope that your wings work.
0: Right. Not to I be am-
1: Impulsive. I do not believe in that. And and I I don't think I would have left if I did not have that severance. So what I do, though, is I absolutely encourage people that if they do have this thing that is seeking to emerge from them, this little itch that they want to scratch, I encourage them to start that even if it's one thing on the side while they have the golden handcuffs or whatever it is like while they I like to think about it as like, the the mindset shift is kind of like thinking about that, that where you work now as the first investor in your company. And that is a better way of kind of shifting the power dynamic instead of feeling handcuffed. Then that kind of, I think, frees us up a little bit to be like, oh, this is, they're just investing in me and, and all that I have to bring to the world. And so I'm going to play, I'm going to do my job and do it fully. And I'm also going to have this little pocket that I get to play in. And maybe that's outside of the hours of work, but one, one thing that you can do to start to put that into play.
0: Yeah, and I think people don't realize not to be condescending about it, but that takes a lot of work, right? Cause it's like, well, I don't have time. Well, guess what? You have to make the time. Like my dad, for instance, was a rabbi when I was growing up till I was eight. He was getting his, his EDDs, um, doctorate in education on the side of Columbia. And guess what? After eight years in the rabbinate, He wanted to quit. He had this degree and he was able to transition into a psychology practice. That was, you know, four years of school. Like, if he had waited, he would have been poor again for another four years before. So, you know, like what you did, you were getting your coaching certification on the side so you could make that transition. I think, you know, if you need to write that book, you're going to have to wake up at 5 a.m. and you're going to have to stay up till one in the morning. You know, like I think people don't realize the sacrifice. Do you find that a lot that people just aren't willing to put in the work?
1: Um, I don't know if I find that they're not willing to put in the work. I just think sometimes it's a matter of bringing the awareness to what they can actually do. It's like it's like mm-hmm. it, it does come down to choice for me. Right. I remember to your point that you just made, I believe it was Tony Morrison who said it was about finding the nooks and crannies in the day. Right. Because mm-hmm. if we really do want to do something and something is really seeking to be expressed, you will find your way to do so, right? And it does come down to a choice though. I don't I don't operate in the have to place. I think that we, as a country and society, we are constantly saying things like from a have to state of mind. I think that we get to choose to, we get to, we want to. And, and even if we just change that vernacular, things don't, they, they don't feel so much like a chore, right? If you turn your chore into choice, that changes the game completely, then what? Now, what do you wanna do? Now it doesn't feel like a sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. I am somebody who I, again, I am very aware that I, I have very few distractions in my life. So I have a lot of agency over my time. I, I have total agency over my time. In fact, I have total agency over what I choose to do and don't do, and I get that. And I also know plenty of people who have children and are writing books and are running a business mm-hmm. and are managing a team and are the CEOs of their household. And they're just making it work. Now is that all day, every day that they can be all things at all times? No. And what are you choosing and who are you choosing to be in all the, in all that action that that you're taking. Right. So I just think that if there is something that is calling from the depths within that is something that keeps coming up for you, it is so vital that you listen, that you ask, what is one thing I can do to bring that to life? Because I promise that whatever that is, is wanted and needed for the rest of us. And you not bringing it to life is a disservice to the rest of us. So that's kind of my bottom line. I think everyone gets to listen to their truth, because if we are not listening and operating from a really authentic place, then we are we get sick it's like i think about this virus very holistically i think we're living in a a sick society in many ways i think that we have a we have our own places within that we're where we're splintered and divided and i think that if we start to heal that whether it's like listening to the passion that is really wanting to come out or you know being kinder and gentler to ourselves and each other Or whatever it is, I think that is part of the healing that gets to happen in ourselves and the world.
0: You always blow me away. So two (laughs) things I want to focus on, and then I want to talk about some exciting stuff you're doing now um, that you just talked about. Well, one is actually not something you talked about, but something that um, you helped me do which is, you know, finding my own power. Because when I went to you, I was in like a weak place, you know, and I don't think of myself like that. I think of my place always coming from a place of strength and I'm, you know, the boss queen and this and that. And I just like was completely depleted and I had to find my power to be able to choose to be, as you say. So like I couldn't find, I couldn't figure out what I had to do next without being able to get my strength back. But then it got me thinking about, You know, the differences between the men and women, and I'm sure you've read Untamed. You can nod yes if you've read it. I read half
1: of it and then
0: I had an opinion. Oh, my God. I'm so (laughs) interested. I need to talk to you off mic about what you thought of it. But like, you know, it obviously deals a lot with that, with finding your powers. But 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 about the gender difference, because that's really interesting, especially in our business where. I think my like next six podcasts in a row are with women just kind of by accident, but I find that I just love talking to women, especially because I feel like we don't have, it's not a unilateral experience, especially in this industry with power and what we do. Um, So anyway, I guess my question is do you find then that your clients with between men and women, that there is a difference there in terms of either maybe what they feel or what they feel they're entitled to and, I guess a confidence is really what I'm asking. Like, is that, does that divide across gender in your experience?
1: Uh, No, actually, I think it shows up differently, but I would say that men and women are both always struggling with what Brene Brown would call our core shame of not enough, Mm -hmm. you know? And the way I talk about it is what part of us is sitting at the head of the table when we're making choices, when we're taking action, Cause that's creating results.
0: So yeah. Talk about the head of the table. That's one of your things I love, but, but pe- explain it to people what it means.
1: So I think about it like this. We all have a big dining room table within us and we can, sometimes it's just the shitty committee as someone just called it. <laughs> um, but I like to think about it as like, it's a big dining room table. And instead of it having friends and family around it, it's different parts of us. So we all have kind of the basic things, we all have happy, we all have sad, we all have angry, we all have loving, we all have fear, we all have not enough, we all have enough, we all have worthy, we all have generous, loyal, it can go on and on. We might also have parts of us that were um, given to us when we were kids, like I have, I was the perfect child, so I have a perfect child at my table. My sister was Mm -hmm. known as the difficult child, so she has a difficult child at her table, right? And so on and on, we can spend all day kind of probably putting all those different parts around the table. I like to classify them that if it's more in the fear-based realm, I like to think of those as little kids or low energy or like the little kids or the low energy, however you want to say it, or both. And for the love and the joy and the generosity and loyalty and confidence, those I look at as the healthy adults or the high energy. So really, we are human doings so often in our life that we don't remember that we are actually human beings. And we get to really ask ourselves, who are we being? And I think that that can be answered by really getting conscious and taking a breath before we jump on a call, before we, you know, help our kids with school, before we, um, talk to a service provider who is sitting at the head of the table. And then that will help to root in who you're being, which again, will create the results. So, so.
0: And totally. It, I just had yeah. to insert it. I mean, I'm just thinking about this morning when I threw a hissy fit at the, at the lab, you know, at the lab place that was an hour late to take me. I trust me, not a good person was sitting at the head of that table. What part would you say was like the little pissed off brat? Because I just and I knew it. It was like in the moment I knew it. But that was, I guess, my question. Like, how do I I know I'm frustrated. I know I'm taking out on them. But how do you channel the adult with the high energy, as you say, to take over at the head of the table when you're in the moment? You're just pissed off.
1: Right. So I think the opportunity (laughs) is to uh, observe without judgment. Just observe it. Just observe without judgment. Okay. Like I'm, I'm acknowledging. Igno- an I am, I can see the asshole sitting at the head of the table. Hello, <laughs> asshole. You know, so it's just acknowledging it, naming it. When we name it, we can tame it and then we can reframe it. But unless we name it, it's like, it's like naming any, it's like naming racism or sexism. We cannot, we have to name it in order to change it. And so acknowledging the the point in the beginning is to really just be observing without judgment what part of us is really sitting at the head of the table. And then eventually there will be a moment where you are able to call over, call in that healthy adult, whatever it is, because if you had, because, and also it's like, it's not about that little pissed off part, not getting to be expressed. You can actually allow that part to be expressed, right? But maybe not at the person or You know, if if it's just going to if it's going to frustrate you, then go go outside and scream for a second, take a breath and then put confidence or joy or love at the head of the table and then go forward.
0: Right. That's yes. the Where were, the were you practice? this morning? I'm I sorry. wish we had done this at 8 a.m. <laughs> Damn it, Steph. You have my number. I know. I should have thought. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I want to fast forward the timeline to get to all the cool stuff that you're doing now. So, I mean, you basically eventually left to, you know, really jumpstart your business. And you've been um, life coaching for years now, a, a lot on the corporate end, right? Like to big companies and and then also in, in individuals as well. Um, so- In the pandemic, you have kind of like, and we had some talks about it on the phone too, talking about a podcast, which I'm so excited that you're going to do. And you kind of like, redid your whole website and you have a whole new sort of slogan and brand. So I want you to talk about that. It's very exciting and I'm very excited for you. Thank you.
1: Yes, I just launched a new um, website with the brand of, you'll be very surprised to know, The Choice is Yours. So I'm all about The Choice. The podcast, which is coming out after... Labor Day, probably the first or second week of September. That will be decided actually tomorrow. Um, that is called permission to choose, and my, um, I have some exciting guests. I have Mario Lopez is on it, and Yay. Darren O'Lean, who's in a new show, a new Netflix show with Zac Efron called um, Down to Earth with Zac
0: Efron. Oh, I and- have wow. Darren. Yeah the, yeah, the sidekick guy.
1: Yeah, he's the the superfood hunter. Darren and I have been friends for 20 years, so this is a very exciting time to see him thrive like this. And he's amazing, and he just does so much in the world that is good. And it, and what are just... the t- what are you talking about? Like,
0: what's the the main theme?
1: So the the theme for every guest is permission to choose, and I'm talking to visionaries and CEOs and um, entrepreneurs and people who have not only made, but make significant choices every day and actually talking about what that means and what that looks like and what level of permission they've given themselves to do. So the topics include like for Darren, it's permission to choose to live on purpose. Um, Mario is permission to evolve, right? Cause he's somebody who has been in that, he's been in the business for a thousand years and he keeps evolving. Right. Um, I also have a CEO, for some, a company called the Brand Guild. And she's talking about the permission to choose to pivot. And that especially has to do with the pandemic and how how companies have had to shift and change and move and groove. So it's really about game changers and, um, and influencers and important voices and their relationship to choice. And then I always ask them a question at the end and I'm always fascinated by the answer, but the, the question is what is the most important choice you've ever made and why? And I, do, I don't tell them I'm asking that before I, I talk to them, and it's uh, it's been a fascinating, um, it's been fascinating to hear the answers.
0: What would you that. say? I knew you were going to say that. I was going to literally interject <laughs> and say, "What's your answer?" And then you beat me to the punch. I mean, I know what mine is. I think I've talked about it before in the podcast. It's it's actually like a very vivid, you know, literal moment where I was visiting my sister in Philadelphia in 2002. And I went for a I was, I had scheduled a, a, just a general meeting at Banyan Productions because I wanted to like work on trading spaces and just commute from New York City. And I was on a bike ride and I was going to cancel. It was like the most beautiful day. I was so enjoying getting out of the city, you know, New York and riding my bike. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go. So I end up going on the interview and... You know, very long story short, they ended up hiring me to do a pilot that was supposed to be eight weeks and ended up being 13 years of my life where my husband, I had my daughter. I mean, my whole life changed. So, I mean, I was just like literal sliding doors moment. I always think about, I'm going to get choked up. I always think about if I, very emotional today. Um, I always think about if I hadn't, if I just stayed on the bike and I hadn't, and I flaked on the meeting. And I was very much in the like, you don't flake on meeting stage, you know, now I'm fine with it. But <laughs> at that time, I was like, no, you made a commitment, you're going and I could have easily bailed on that they wouldn't have cared. And I made the choice. Now, I know that's a very literal choice, but it was such a profound, I think the impact that that one little choice had in terms of, you know, and obviously choosing to move to LA was a huge turning point again, five years ago. So what's yours?
1: First of all, thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. <laughs> yes. Let's try without crying next time. No, I love the crying. I feel like I've, <laughs> I've done something right. Yeah, if, you, if always, someone cries. you always
0: do this to me, damn it. I, I, I had like the Barbara I, I, Walters I'm, of life coaching. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, I do, I do have
1: that effect on people. Um, do you know, I haven't really thought about this because I'm so used to asking it and I'm so into the answers that I get that I haven't actually thought and thought and thought, um, I'd have to really, I have to get back to you. I don't even know. I, I feel like there, I've made so many very key and amazing choices in my life that, I mean, honestly, at this point, I would say that my choice to follow my dream to be a coach is really my biggest choice. And I was my just going to tell you, choice.
0: I was just going to tell you that was going to be your answer until you, until you said yeah. it. I was like, I know what your biggest choice and, is. I mean, yeah, clearly you followed your passion.
1: I did. And the why it's important is because I really- do light up around this work. I have never felt more inspired, more energized, more grateful, more just connected to what I'm doing, who I'm being, how I'm serving. I feel very, 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 very blessed every damn day that I get to do this. And I, and even in this weird COVID pandemic, there's so much that is coming through me and the way in which I'm I'm about to emerge even more and be available for people and show up and be in service to and support of I'm, I'm just humbled and really excited and, and feel very, very, very grateful every day.
0: I'm so glad you said that because I feel like in any business, not just our business, and I hope that this can, you know, some listeners can take this away. What you said about how your work makes you feel to me, that's, That's it. Like, if you don't feel that way, I mean, I can say in my own career, anytime I haven't felt that way, I didn't last that long. I left Mm. pretty quickly after it lost its luster for me, you know, or I stayed for a specific reason and then got out. But, you know, you're dying inside if you're not really lit up by the work that you're doing. And I know we are talking from a place of privilege, and I recognize that not everybody can do what they love and it's hard. But if you can, if you can choose something that gets you up in the morning and makes you excited. Like, to me, that is, like you said, when you're aligning kind of like your heart and your brain.
1: Totally. And I think that, you know, even people who, I think everybody can connect to something that lights them up in whatever they're doing. It almost doesn't matter what they're doing. It, it, it really goes back to who are you being? Like, I think about this guy at, at Staples right, right near me. Right. And I used to know his name and oh my God, now I forget his name, but he is the happiest man. He only deals with the copy machines, which is where everyone gets frustrated, but he is like Superman there. He is at, he is there to rescue all of us when we cannot get those machines to work. And that is his, that's his secret sauce, you know? So it's not even... there is, there is joy to find in, in anything. And it's just about who we are and how we're wired and what we choose to bring to the table, you know? So, and I absolutely agree. If you are not feeling lit up, then either you get to shift who's sitting at the head of the table and, or you get to shift where you're sitting in your life and, and see what else is, available for you and what you also get to create. And we're in this great, amazing time of creation in some way, because so much of what we know is not so anymore. So that means there is new life and new opportunities to be revealed.
0: And what I love about the way you work is that like you identify with your person that you're coaching, you know, like, what is the vision that you see for yourself? What is it today? Was it in 60 days? What's it in five years? What's it in 10 years? And then you very concretely not in a sort of therapeutic model that a lot of us are used to like getting into your childhood and all that this is a very concrete vision and plan to execute on what it is you want. So having said that, if people want to, um, to employ you and go to you for life coaching, tell us about how you work and what your website's all about and where to start.
1: Yeah, so I have, the website is Stefziv.com and that is Steph with an F, S-T-E-F-Z-I-E-V. And um, there is, I'm give away this free download called Surprise, Permission to Choose Manifesto, which I encourage everyone to go get because it is just awesome. And it's just, it is marching orders for you getting to be and do who you, you know, who you're here to be and what you're here to do and just giving you a little uh, loving, you know, push to do that. Um, So I really would love everyone to have their own version. And so please download that. And then also I offer 30 minute um, complimentary sessions and that you can also um, schedule on my site and I do a lot of work with corporate and both individuals, as you said, as executive coaching and also teams. And I, you know, and especially the entertainment industry, I mean, that is the language I know. And I understand also that things are moving and grooving and changing every day. And people are relating to that in many different ways. And so there is a way to stay open and agile and also um, excited about what's possible versus fearful about what's going away, you know? Yeah. So if it's, if I can be of any support, I'm here for it.
0: So I guess to, to finish up, you know, what are some of your own practices that you would advise people to do, especially now, which is just the weirdest time ever for so many people in so many different ways, whether people have someone sick or lost a loved one, or they're out of work or they're just going crazy or they're homeschooling or they haven't had childcare in six months. You know, there's so many ranges. There's such a huge range of issues. Um, I know this is kind of a pat question, but do you have any kind of like blanket advice or what's getting you through spiritually through this time? And and what are you imparting to others to kind of just like give us all a little boost? Yeah,
1: I. I am, I do kind of look at this, if I may, as a, you know, I do see this a little spiritually. I, I, I'm trying not to live just in the details of what's going on mm-hmm. because that will freak me out. And <laughs> I will, and, and I think that that just contributes to the dis-ease that's going on. And I do think mm-hmm. that there's some responsibility here for all of us. It's like, you know, my, one of my, for all of us to look within and say, where am I? Where am I splintered? Where am I divided? Where am I disconnected? Where am I, where am I at any level and in any way, energetically, literally, figuratively, or otherwise contributing to what's going on in the world? And what can I do to, to change that? And that might be literally, I'm gonna go out and vote and rally the troops. It might be, I'm yes. gonna to go to therapy and cry it out. It might be, I'm going to um, take one step and start the, my dream business because I think that will really make me happy and light me up and there's actually a use for it in the world and people want it and need it. So I just feel like if we can, you know, for me, it is really consistently going back to that place of being in service to myself and others. And, and how can I be the healthiest version of myself you know on all the levels mind body spirit and how can i show up in that way and continue to circulate the the health the wealth the, the you know the goodness and um and just be responsible for my where, where my fingerprints are in all of it and that's what i would ask people to ask themselves because if we're just continuing to be negative and and divided then that's just going to perpetuate and i really think we have an opportunity to do something differently um, because the way we've been doing it is clearly not working.
0: Wow. Steph, you said it all. It's been so great. I love, always love talking to you and now it's fun to do it on the mic. I can't think of a more perfect podcast host. So I'm so thrilled that permission to choose is going to come out soon So everyone. So tell us where we can follow you on all your socials so we can make sure that we're up to date on everything. And of course, people want to reach out to get coaching.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Um, Instagram is Steph Ziv and so is LinkedIn. And so is what are the other ones? Twitter, Twitter although Facebook. I'm never really on Twitter. Facebook yeah. is Steph Ziv. Coach is, is the one. I'm not on TikTok. No, don't go
0: on TikTok. And uh, it's, no, it's I will, isn't <laughs> isn't that
1: being shut down anyway? We
0: don't know. Huh, um, yeah, pray. so
1: <laughs> Instagram is the is the big one, I guess, for me, and LinkedIn. Okay. So th- those would be
0: great. Yeah. And then your podcast will be available, I guess, where everybody where anybody gets podcasts. Yes.
1: <laughs> wherever that is, <laughs> like we will That'll figure be, that out. Yeah, I think it's going to be on iHeartRadio and oh, Apple. Oh, nice! And, that's huge. Uh, and Spotify. Yeah, that's great. So. At least that's what's on my website right now. So we'll see what really
0: happens. No, that sounds um, sounds like all the places it should be.
1: Yeah, that'll be. And it'll be the first or second week of September. That will be to be determined, which by the time this airs, I'm sure we'll know. So we will. know.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm so happy to see you. I'm so glad you're thriving in this crazy time. And I just wish you all the best all the time. You're a wonderful person. Thanks, my friend. I really am so grateful to
1: be here. I appreciate it. Thank you.